0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi friends and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, welcome back. I am sitting in a hotel. I've lured another guest into a hotel room. This is like my classic move now. But I am in um, kind of dreary Vancouver, but it was a little bit sunny today. And I'm really, really excited about this next guest. We kind of connected because we're both going to the same conference tomorrow, which is the Mompreneur's conference. And she is a Mompreneur that... I think you are going to love to get to know. I am stupidly excited for you to meet. Please meet Kim, the vagina coach. (laughs) Well, I guess you're just vagina coach. It's not the, but still. Ah, the, doesn't matter. You're a vagina coach. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but that's like the coolest title I think anybody's ever gotten to walk around and claim.
1: Yeah, it actually started because of the mompreneur conference, actually. Now really? that I think about it, yeah. I, okay,
0: like tell that. Like, tell how this, how does one become a vagina coach? I'm I'm a little jealous. <laughs> if I could have an excuse to <laughs> talk, talk about something I grew up day. thinking
1: that I was going to become no. a vagina coach. <laughs> in your high school, yeah. in your high school thing, what do you aspire to be? I'm going to be, no, it was um, accidentally on purpose, as I say. And, So it started because I was afraid of tearing in childbirth. That's really what started it all. My mom had issues. So growing up, I was fascinated with childbirth. I saw a birth video in grade six and I thought, oh my God, I'm never doing that. And then I thought, well, my mom did it and other women did it and people are carrying on. So it must not be that bad. And when I was talking to my mom, she did have challenges. So she had chronic back pain. She had a tummy that she was never happy with. She Mm. had a leaky bladder so i noticed that gradually she stopped doing some of her activities she used to run every morning she was always very active and then started to kind of phase that out she had surgery in her 50s and so growing up i kind of felt like i'm not going to do this i i like my body as it is i don't want it to get ruined and so that was my life. And then when I decided I did want to have children, what changed that was I watched my sister-in-law give birth. And that was, oh, yeah, you know, from me to where we're sitting, like you yeah. we were my sister-in-law and I'm yeah. watching this. And I remember walking in the room going, oh my God, that's a big vagina. Like I'd never seen birth that way before. And it was inspiring and she used midwives and she had no tearing. And so she had a completely different story than what my mom had and what I kind of pictured birth to be. And then I thought, okay, I think I... I'd met my husband and we wanted a family. So I said, I I can do this. So the next year I was pregnant and I remember asking my midwives, you know, I I really want to have a different story than my mom. What can I do? And they had told me about perineal massage, which is something my sister-in-law had done as well.
0: When I first heard about perineal massage, I was 19 or no, I was 20. And I remember telling people about it, but I kept calling it perennial massage. Yeah. And they're like, that's a garden, <laughs> Sarah. That's not your vagina. And I was like, I've repeated this to probably 20 people who have not corrected me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it, that all the can time. you explain
1: what that is for those who don't know? Yeah. So the the perineum is the area between its its skin. It's an area between the vagina and the anus and it's very very prone very very common to have tearing uh it used to be common that they would actually cut that tissue and it was called an episiotomy or I've it had still one. is yes okay lots of people but still mom do my was to the side most now most of them are okay it used to be standard mm-hmm. you know in my mom's day everybody had one because they thought that it would make it easier they thought yeah. well if we just create more space for the baby it would be easier for mom and babe but it was creating almost like it started the path for tearing. So people were having more severe injuries and it was more painful to heal from. And so, yeah, so it's challenging. And so they told me about that. And then I was doing more investigation and they had said, and I've also heard about this product called the Epino. And the Epino is a biofeedback device. It's like a balloon that you put in your vagina and it, it gradually inflates and it creates sensations of stretch and pressure and discomfort. So trying to mimic what you're going to feel in birth. Oh, cool. And then you have to learn how to relax, but it's also doing the perineal massage for Interesting. you. Interesting. And so I used one of these and I had a great experience. And I, at the end, I thought, oh my God, like why is this not something that every single woman I've uses? never
0: even heard of it before.
1: Yeah. And it, it, that's it should be, anyway, so that's what started it all. So mm-hmm. I, I contacted the company, they're a German manufacturer. And I said, can I be a distributor in Canada? And they said, yes. And so it started very easily. Yeah. And my intention wasn't for it to be a business. I just thought I would sell a few on the side. Uh, I had worked in fitness and then got out of it and I was working in HR. And then long story short, in 2009, I was laid off. And just before that, I had been saying, you know, I wish I could be at home more with my kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, My husband travels a lot. He's a pilot. I didn't have any family because we had just moved to Ontario. And so I was feeling like I wanted to be at home with my kids and have something to do. And so I thought I'll turn this into something. And I was going to give myself a year to grow it. And then I was laid off, so I thought, okay, here we go. Now's the time. Yeah, kicked out of the nest. (laughs) That's kind of start how it started, and then I started very much with pregnancy as the the main goal, like helping people prevent pelvic floor challenges while they're still pregnant. That was the the theme. Okay, and then. I met two other women, and we started a second business called Belly Zinc, and we manufacture a postpartum recovery garment. I saw
0: that that's really cool, actually, because a lot of people deal with like muscle tearing in their stomach area, and just like a really hard. And I think what's what's difficult is that we've come into this day and age where like waist trainers are a thing, and that's not what this is. This is totally. like a
1: this is like a more compression
0: to help heal the uterus. Yeah, like and it's even more. Back, right? it's a,
1: it that's part of it. So the base layer tank top provides a little bit of compression, but mm. really the wrap is is more so what I find to be the most valuable and, the, and it actually supports more the pelvis. So okay. the intention behind it is when the muscles in the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor are stretched beyond their optimal length, when any muscle is stretched beyond its optimal length, it is hindered in its capacity to contract and to use its full force. Right. So in the early weeks postpartum, the body, the, the ability to provide core control and stability is is not as effective. And so right. the wrap really provides a bit of a, it's almost like a crutch and it's okay. temporarily providing external support while the rebuilding um, happens, while the retraining happens of exercise for the right. internal support. Okay, that's So really we started building that business and then yada yada, I moved back to Vancouver. And the way that the Vagina Coach, like getting, this is a long story to tell you how. No, <laughs> that's I'm, I'm still here for it. I like this. So when I was speaking at the Mompreneur Conference, which is what we're here for here, my talk was called "How Optimizing Your Pelvic Floor Can Make You a Better Mompreneur," mm. and there had been several talks through the day. Now that's and a segue. <laughs> many, <laughs> many people were talking about, like you know, marketing coach or business, whoever. There was yeah. many different types of business coaches. And so I just walked onto stage and I said, and now you've got a vagina coach for your business. And it just kind of, (laughs) it just kind of came out of my mouth. And I was like, oh my God, that is so good. That so sums up because I had moved away from pregnancy as the only thing. And it kind of was, you know, moving into after and even into menopause. And the, I used to be called the fitness doula and that just wasn't, it didn't describe what I did completely anymore. Of course. And so that was like, I think it was maybe three or four years ago when I, I had that kind of light bulb. And so that's how that happened.
0: That's incredible. Now I'm going to tell you my story because this is why I'm so fascinated by you and what you do. So I was 20 when I got pregnant. I had never even seen my vagina right up until Mm post-delivery. Like I'd never seen myself, never took a mirror to it. I remember in delivery, I had midwives and they said, do you want to see a mirror? And I was like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I think they thought it would help me with my pushing. And Mm -hmm. at that time, if you had an epidural, you lost your midwives as your primary care and a GP had to come in Mm -hmm. um, or an OB, sorry. And so the OB had come in the room, but there was another woman having a baby around the same time and she was running out of time to do both. Mm -hmm. And I remember the look on the midwives faces when this OB made the call we're doing an episiotomy and I was completely numb. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel it. I heard the cutting of my skin and a baby was out and I didn't really think much past that. So for then all of a sudden the next day, you know, pain kind of came and it came so furiously and so bad. And I remember just like looking at my midwives and saying like, what can I have? And they're mm-hmm. like, you can have a Tylenol or an Advil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was stitched. I don't even know how many stitches. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. My first baby was nine pounds and, you know, it was so traumatic on my 21 year old body. Mm-hmm. And I remember going home And I was so ashamed to like still talk about my body and all these different things. And the midwives were really like, they made me comfortable and they made me confident in a way, but I still was super, super terrified. Mm -hmm. So six weeks down the line, my stitches have not released yet. I'm not even able to pee. The only way I was able to pee was to sit into a bath and pee with Mm -hmm. Epsom salts. It was all just so painful and so scary. And I just was so focused on this like baby that I didn't know quite what else to do. Finally, we realized that there was some form of an infection and that had to be treated. A year later, I finally stopped feeling daily pain. Yeah. Every time I stood up, it was painful. Like the entire process, I thought I would never have children again because it was so horrific. By the time my daughter was one, about a week later, I was pregnant with my second. And I had a completely different experience. I had a midwife with me the entire time and she knew my entire fear, similar to you with your mother. I was so scared of tearing. Mm -hmm. That's all I could think about was I can't go through another year of this. I can't, uh, with a baby and trying to do all these things. I don't know how to do this. And she massaged Mm -hmm. that baby out Mm -hmm. and I walked out without any stitches. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what childbirth was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be trauma for a year. Uh, eventually, then I had my son two years later and I was in Ottawa at this time. They didn't have midwives up there. So back to an OB mm-hmm. and sure enough, tour in a different spot. But tour again. Yep. And I was just like this, holy crap, it could be such a great experience. And and it can be so horrific depending on who, like, I guess even just the level of just awareness around, like I exactly, remember looking the at knowledge. the, right. And so with the OB in Ottawa, I remember saying like, I've had an episiotomy, like it was all happening really, really fast. And I said, I've had an episiotomy. The last time they had to massage the baby so that I didn't tear because mm-hmm. there's quite a bit of scar tissue there. Mm-hmm. And they looked at me and they said, oh no, we don't touch you. And I was like, "What?" I just remember being like, "Like the fear just overcame me again." So that one, it wasn't so bad. It was only a couple stitches. But flash forward about four years ago, I got onto a trampoline with my kids. You know, I'm all healed. I'm it's done having the trampoline. Babies. <laughs> it's the damn trampoline, and I peed, mm-hmm. and I was like what the hell was that? Mm -hmm. And I, I wasn't like ashamed of it. I ended up like telling a bunch of people and like joking about it online and stuff. And people were like, you realize that's an issue. You shouldn't have that happening to you. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. That, what do you mean? They're like, no, that's a pelvic floor thing. You should be retraining your body. Like there's, there's stuff that you can do and I've still not done it, Mm -hmm. but it fascinates me that I am nine years postpartum almost 10 years postpartum. It's been 14, almost 14 years since I've given birth for the first time. And I'm now just understanding that there Mm -hmm. is stuff that could have been done and prevented before I had kids totally, all the way after I had kids. And now I just find it like, holy crap, this is something that needs to be talked about. We need to put mirrors to our vaginas and we need to have conversations
1: about them. Totally. And, and wouldn't so it crazy. like the, the knowledge piece and the awareness is we are in a position of power when we know and when we can make decisions based on the information that we have. And as it stands, as what you just said with your story, which is very, very typical, is people go in thinking, okay, well, I'll, the doctor's here. They they must yeah. know. I'll just, I'm just going to trust this. And that's fine. You want to have a trust. Yep. But there are so many things that women don't know mm-hmm. and they aren't told and if they had been, it could change their birth experience, it could change their recovery and and actually make them focus on recovery. Because I feel like that's a really overlooked piece of childbirth in our North American culture, which is right. very, very much of who can get back to the gym fastest, who can yeah. get into, who, who can not look pregnant the quickest, which I find it funny, especially in the kind of the social media driven world that we have, where... As soon as somebody's pregnant, every day there's, you know, a picture of now it's the size of a cantaloupe or an avocado or I whatever know. vegetable it is. The belly is revered through the whole pregnancy and as soon as the baby is born, it becomes a place of shame and we need to hide it and we have to make sure that nobody thinks we look pregnant anymore and huh. you know what I mean? Like it's just so, yeah, so true. backwards and um and so when we were talking about the rap earlier, mm-hmm. it's also interesting because In the kind of the body positive movement, it is sometimes looked at as a waist trainer or as a oh, you're just trying to get to shame women and make them feel like they need to flatten their abs after, which is like so completely opposite to what we designed our product for. But it's interesting and I and I wish that really my whole when I first started this whole kind of mission, it was really from a preventive perspective to get women informed. If you go into your pregnancy and and your recovery with more information and with a plan for recovery and with knowledge of pelvic floor physiotherapy, which should be... It should be something that every woman has, mm-hmm. especially women that go through pregnancy and birth, and it should be paid for by our government, really.
0: Right. And and you know what, too, like coming back to the point in terms of like the body positive stuff, you know, I've had this debate before when when people talk about stretch mark creams and I'm like, I still believe to this day if there was something out there that could prevent them, they were painful. Mm-hmm. They should have been prevented. If there's something that you can do in your aftercare that enables your body to retract and be stronger in the long run, mm-hmm. that's probably something that we should endorse. But if you haven't been able to do that, or you didn't do that, or you tried and things didn't work, whatever, it's not shame inducing on either side. But when there are tools in place to support women, like mm-hmm. we do need to kind of get behind those things. And it's totally. not the same category as the other things. But I'm I'm curious too, do you have any clients who are not in the pregnancy and postpartum world? A thousand percent. Really? Most people are not in in where I am now. Really? Yeah. So what is your main, like, what do a lot of people come for you? Because the one thing you were talking about, you said how, like, my story is like a typical story. What I find fascinating is, like, these things are common, but they Mm -hmm. shouldn't be normal. Right. And I love that you're, if you are, like, you're doing clients before they even come into that. Mm Because I think it's, I think it's such a disservice that we've done to our bodies where we're just like, I'm freaked out by my vagina. Therefore, I'm not going to
1: talk about it or look at it or ask
0: questions. Yep.
1: Yeah, and and so it's a it's a place of for some it's a place of shame for some right. it's a place of they're uncomfortable or they think it's taboo. Yeah, um, even from a self pleasure perspective, they feel like that's maybe not something they should talk about or or even explore or do. So it's kind of a part of the body where you don't really you don't really pay attention to it unless right. there's something that's not working. You know, you mentioned pain. Obviously, pain is something that will bring your attention there a lot all the right? time, mm-hmm. and and that's hard to let go. But or if you're experiencing incontinence, or if you're experiencing. Prolapse, where you, yep. you feel like there's something in your vagina all the time, then you're gonna you're gonna be aware of it, and it's gonna probably overtake a lot of your thoughts because the pelvic floor that the core is so central to so many things that we do yeah. in our life. But most people, I'd say, the two most common things are incontinence and prolapse. So, so what's prolapse? Prolapse occurs where so in our in the female body we have a bladder and a uterus and a rectum. Okay, and if you can imagine. The, the listeners won't be able to see this, and I won't completely demonstrate it. But if you can imagine putting your arm through your sweatshirt arm okay. and hold it up. So pretend that that sweatshirt arm is your vagina. Yep. And at the top, so where your hand would be poking out, would be your cervix and your uterus. Right. And on one side would be your bladder, so the anterior wall of the yep. vagina. And then on the back side would be your rectum, so that would be the posterior part of your vagina. Right. And a prolapse occurs when one or sometimes all of those organs start to shift out of their optimal position and gotcha. either descend into or bulge into the vagina. So if the rectum bulges into the vagina, it's called a rectocele. Okay. If the bladder bulges into the anterior wall of the vagina, it's called a cystocele. And if the uterus starts to descend into the vagina, that would be a uterine prolapse. Those are the three most common. Interesting. And those things can happen without childbirth and? thousand percent.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think I just only heard about it when it's like a postpartum thing. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's funny because when I was starting to um trying to, you know, talk about the mm-hmm. epi no more, like this is 15 years ago. And I started meeting with doctors and I remember being in this one meeting with a doctor and his son who was also a doctor. Yeah. And the two of them were, he, he's one of the Leading, he's maternal. I think he's head of maternal and fetal medicine at Sunnybrook, maybe. Okay. He's a very well renowned, known doctor. And I was in the meeting with him, and and they were very supportive of the Epino, which I was super excited to have because medical is usually a little more hesitant on stuff like that. Of course. And I remember him and his son having a conversation, and they asked me, I was very new to this. And in my Mm -hmm. world, really all I knew about at the time was incontinence. Mm -hmm. And they said, Well, you know, if somebody had a cystocele, would they be able to, to use this? And I was trying to be all professional. And, and in my head, I'm like, what the fuck is this? cystocele? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. Like, <laughs> what the hell is that? And that, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'll search that up. But so I had never heard of prolapse before. Gotcha. And then it became something that obviously I was talking about more, the more I spoke with physios and other doctors right. and started to learn about. And that can sometimes almost be more common than the incontinence piece. Like almost 50% of women have some degree of prolapse. And in the early weeks postpartum, I think it's like 83 or 84% of women usually have a stage one or stage two, which usually will resolve, not always. But again, back to the knowledge and the informed piece, if women know about that, if they know about pelvic floor physio, if they're Mm -hmm. getting assessed and checked, and if they know that they have an early stage prolapse, then they would potentially, when you're informed, you make informed choices. Of course, you become a better
0: advocate for yourself. Totally. So maybe you
1: don't go back to your to that fitness class as yeah. soon as possible. Or maybe you are more motivated to see physio. Yeah. Maybe you understand the importance of restoring and, and resting and retraining right. your core. But for some women who, who have no idea, they get their six week green light, they go back, you know, kind of from zero to 60. Mm-hmm. And if things haven't fully restored or repositioned, and then they're adding that load, the demands yes. of jumping and what have you, then that can sometimes set them up for some challenges. And then I hear all the time, I wish somebody had told me about that. I guess that's one of my
0: big questions too, is what is it actually, what are the symptoms of a prolapse? Because if so many people are suffering from them and we don't even know that that technically is going on, what is something that potentially somebody would be like, oh, maybe that's something I should go check out. Like, what are those symptoms? Are they very obvious or are they subtle? Like for me, like the whole peeing myself, like I was just like, oh, it's because I have had kids. Like that's the end of that story. Yeah. Didn't yeah. really even think anything more to it. But yeah, for both kinds of pro or all three kinds of prolapses, what would... Would kind of be
1: the symptoms for those? So early stage prolapse can often be asymptomatic. So usually in North America, prolapse are usually graded, one, two, three, four, whereas one is very early stage and four would be where it's actually, if you can picture a woman, it kind of looks like a scrotum. Like if you picture a bulge out of your vagina, that would be a stage that, so four. So you would probably know that that's you would, happening. You would definitely know you that's definitely definitely happening. Know. But early stage, like stage one and two, often you have no idea, or sometimes the symptoms might be back pain, or they might just kind of be a, a kind of a little tugging sensation that you would associate hmm. maybe with ovulation, or maybe you just hurt yourself, you you yeah. worked out too hard or something. So because, and this is like my, one of my big soapboxes is that every woman should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist every single year, even if you have no symptoms for your entire life. Like we go to the dentist Oh, you know, like we have all this I've other preventive I've never been to one. I'm go. Like,
0: I need to, apparently. What does that look What does that look like when you go? Like, is it a physical exam? Is it a yes. questionnaire? Yeah. So they can actually examine you and like make sure things
1: are... Yeah. So pelvic floor physios are regular physiotherapists that are, okay. have additional training and they are licensed to go internally. Mm. And they will do... They have all the other skills that other physios do. So they yeah. will have an external exam. They look at posture. They look at movement that you do go through a very extensive questionnaire like health screen. And then usually assessments last for about an hour the first time and it's externally. So they will look at the genitalia. They will look for if there is any scar tissue, they'll look to see how mobile it is, Mm -hmm. if it's really stuck. Mm -hmm. And then they will go usually with one, sometimes two gloved fingers. They will insert those into the vagina. And what they're checking for is tone. So they will- The tone of your vagina? The tone. like Yeah. Like we have tone in our body. So is the tone, tone in my equal? voice? What is the tone of my vagina? Is it an angry tone or is it? That'd be so funny. i such a child. You have an angry okay. vagina. Okay. Yeah. But you kind of can have it. I, I would think an, an angry, an angry vagina could be like a very tight, very like a lot of uh, too much tone, over over Overtoned. hypertonic basically that would be I considered. Feel, I, feel, I thought that was the goal. That's what everybody thinks. Well, I'm, I want a really tight, <laughs> hypertoned vagina.
0: <laughs> Honestly, even yeah. my mom said when she gave birth, the doctor looked at her and was like, do you want us to add an extra stitch for your husband? Oh
1: God. Like, oh my gosh, That's what? such a terrible like... <laughs> Sorry,
0: mom, for telling that story about your <laughs> vagina.
1: I don't even know if you got the stitch. Uh, um. Yeah. Yeah, but they like, call it the husband stitch, which is... Oh my is, gosh. Which oftentimes it's it is a huge source of pain for women going forward, but yeah. he's thinking only about the pleasure of the man, not nothing to do with a woman. So a tight vagina could be an angry vagina, could be, could be. It could be, and and that we're just kind of half joking there, but yeah, So they're assessing for. Is there a balance? Like, does one right. does one side? Is there more give on the other side, and yeah. is one side really rigid, or is it fairly balanced? And then they will assess: Can you do a Kegel? So they want to assess the contract. Whoa, I called and it, the Kegels lift. Kegel, it Kegels forever. It's Kegel, Kegel, Tomato, oh, okay. Tomato. It doesn't okay. matter. Okay. You're okay. Like how many times have I said that word <laughs> wrong? I actually my life. <laughs> I interchange. Some, usually I say Kegel more often, but okay. Kegel it doesn't matter. Okay. Kegel, Kegel. So a true Kegel, Kegel is a contraction. So there's yep. like a squeeze, a hug. And then there should be a lift, like a drawing up and in, mm-hmm. and then there needs to be the letting go. And if you have somebody who has, you know, quote unquote, as we were talking, an angry vagina or a really kind of hyper tone yep. vagina, the contraction may not be felt, not because there isn't the ability, but it's like there isn't as much ability left. So if you imagine, oh, okay. say I walked around with in a bicep curl, I was carrying a bag of groceries all day long and my arm was partially flexed most of the day. By the end of that day, my arm, even by like an hour later, my arm is going to be sore and tired. And yeah. if I was going to have to be lifting something heavier or more again, I'd, my arm would be like, uh, no, no, I have nothing yeah. more to give. So the same thing happens in the floor. If the pelvic floor muscles are held in a kind of chronically tense or overcontracted contracted state yeah. for the majority of the time, then they lose their ability to generate power. That's one of the ways that leaking can happen. So when a sneeze uh-huh. comes, they're, they're just like, uh. Sorry, I can't manage it. So in terms of like incontinence, because
0: I feel like it gets normalized for women who as they age, yep. can it be preventative or is that just something that will naturally happen as you age? No. And if you already are so far gone that you are having incontinence with your bladder, can you heal from it? Yes. Even at an older age? Yes. A thousand percent.
1: Yes. Mom, I hope you're listening. Yes. She talks about this all the time too. Totally. And pelvic floor muscle training is... Uh, again, I I have to remember, it's about 83%, I think. So studies show that pelvic floor muscle training is 83% effective in curing. Like not just helping reduce, but curing, curing. incontinence.
0: Wow. So
1: if you see a physio and you learn properly how to perform a proper Kegel. Yeah. And so making sure that if you do have a hypertonic vagina, so mm-hmm. one that is holding more tension. <laughs> I hope <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why? That sounds like such a goal. I'm like, I want a hypertonic vagina. No, you don't because... I know, but it sounds awesome. I- <laughs> it just sounds like it's like super powered.
1: Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, it does sound like a superpower. But so if you have too much tone, then things like sex can be painful. Inserting a tampon could be painful. Right. Moving could be painful. Releasing your bladder might not be as effective. So okay. if you if you can't relax your pelvic floor muscles, the bladder can't contract and empty properly. True. So the goal isn't to if you don't have enough tone the goal is to increase tone if okay. you have too much tone the goal is to, to really, okay. release so some to tone to balance it out so you have to set the balance yeah exactly So
0: I have a question because I'm a huge fan of menstrual cups I've mm-hmm. talked about it many times I've used Diva Cup for years mm-hmm. and every once in a while someone will come to me and say I use the Diva Cup however I put it in and it falls out. Like mm-hmm. it goes all the way down. It's like pushing out. It won't hold in. Mm-hmm. What is that an indication of
1: potentially? A couple things. So it could be that there isn't enough tone okay. to hold. So they would need to work on strengthening the pelvic gotcha. floor muscles. So okay. that could be one. The other could be, so when, especially when we talk about prolapse, there's something yeah. called intra-abdominal pressure. And we we always have, and we need intra-abdominal pressure. It's part of our stability cont- and our control system. Okay, But when we aren't able to manage pressures, so pressures are standing up from a chair, laughing, coughing, jumping, exerting some force will increase intra-abdominal pressure. Right. And if we, for whatever reason, lose our capacity or our ability to manage that, mm-hmm. then things like leaking happen or back pain or diastasis, the bulging in yep. the abdominal wall can yep. happen. So when the pressure goes down on the pelvic floor, that pushes the organs down as well. So that can be a contributor to prolapse.
0: Okay. And if you
1: have a menstrual cup in or even a tampon in, if you're constantly, if the pressure is not being managed properly throughout the day, then that pressure would contribute to the descent of your cup. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, I guess people just have to go to their public floor therapists and find these thousand things. Thousand percent. Out. Yeah. Okay. So forgive me for the silliness of some of these questions, but I honestly no, am totally. just so curious. Okay. So one of the things that I noticed was a huge shift in like, I don't know if it's just aging or if it's from giving birth, but like queefing. Mm-hmm. Never had it before, mm-hmm. have children now it's like a thing. Mm-hmm. Not like in yoga. Like I know that it's like a normal thing and stuff like that. But part of me was like, it happens like after sex or like all these different things. But I'm like, I did, is that normal? Is that like, I shouldn't even say normal, but like, is that okay? Is that just something that's going to happen? Or is that like an indicator of something?
1: Well, it it can Can't happen it's like a squeaky toy in the bed. Like, yeah. I'm just like, is that something that is, should be addressed? Yeah. It's, I mean, it can be an indicator of what it is, is it's air that's trapped in the yeah. vagina and when that pressure, when we're talking about, so sometimes it happens, you know, as you just said, after sex or mm-hmm. if you move in bed or you try to get up out of bed, that can create intra-abdominal pressure. Okay. And again, if, if there's air trapped in there and then there's an increase in pressure, it's like it's blowing out, right? Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it totally does. So it can become more common if you don't have as much control in your pelvic floor. So not necessarily, again, it's not saying that there's not enough tone. Mm -hmm. It might be that there's more tone than's needed. And again, it's not, it doesn't have the ability to contract enough to manage that. Right. So there are some people who, like I always come back to it to say, Some people like queefing, and some people it doesn't bother queefing that they queef. For other people, are like I really don't want to queef me.
0: But whenever it happens, I'm like, why did that happen? Like, what just happened there? Like, it just feels very like sudden. And I just remember during a time that I used to be so ashamed of it because I was like so young and so foreign to my body. I just remember it being like a very sudden thing, like suddenly this was happening. And I was like, why the heck am I getting so much air trapped inside of me? What's going on? And it seemed to be right after giving birth, I had never experienced that before. So I I wasn't sure if that was like actually a side effect of, you know, that traumatic birth experience, if it was actually something that, you know, I live with forevermore. Well, and in your case, so you have had
1: an episiotomy twice, You have- Once, I had one and then a tear once. And tear, okay, sorry. So scar tissue from both of them. Yeah. And what happens with scar tissue is it's, again, it's a normal response to healing and Mm -hmm. we we need it to happen and we need those adhesions. It's part of normal, but they can get sticky or stuck and they can interfere sometimes with the ability of the muscles to Mm -hmm. contract and relax in a balanced way. So when I was talking earlier about assessing tone, if there is scar tissue and you said you had it down on one side, then potentially that side might not contract the same as the other side. And so there would be an imbalance in that Kegel right. contraction. And so when something like, you know, air is trapped and then you move in a way where all of a sudden it, the floor usually responds to that intra pressure by a gentle contraction. Yep. But if it's not doing it in a balanced way, then it can contribute to a queef happening does that make sense that makes so much more sense yeah it's also
0: very funny watching you talk about this because I wish other people could see what you're doing because every time you talk about like a kegel you do like the hand gesture of what a kegel would look like in a vagina and like every time you're talking about like the exam part you've got your like two fingers as if it's an exam and I'm just like sitting here like animated yeah you're very it's very fun Hi friends, I'm just gonna take a quick break from that conversation to talk to you today about Four Sigmatic. So Four Sigmatic is a mushroom coffee and trust me, you gotta hear me out on this. So the first time I ever got to know Four Sigmatic was actually from my mom. She brought over a box for me and put it in my cupboard and told me that she heard all these wonderful things about it and that I should try And well, I didn't really listen. Until one day I realized I was out of coffee filters and coffee beans and I needed to have my morning coffee and have it fast. So Four Sigmatic works really well because all you have to do is pour the powder into hot water, mix it and drink. And you get to have fun with this. You can make it however it is that you want to because it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It just tastes like coffee. 64% of us every single day are drinking coffee. So why not have a mushroom coffee that's more than just coffee? Because it contains lion's mane, a functional mushroom that is your brain's best friend, it supports focus, productivity, and creativity during a busy day like mine. Not only that, it also contains chaga, the king of mushrooms, supporting your immune system and has antioxidant properties. It's made with 100% Arabica coffee beans. It has zero sugar. It's vegan. It's paleo. It's dairy-free. And it has half the caffeine of regular coffee. And you know what that means? It means you don't really have that jittery feeling afterwards. And it's so easy to use. You can take a packet with you anywhere, stash it in your gym bag, your suitcase, wherever it is that you need to go. And of course, I'm going to have a special offer for you all for the Papaya Podcast audience. You will receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order if you go to Forsigmata.com forward slash papaya and enter the code papaya at checkout. That is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash papaya to receive 15% off your order. And now we'll get back to the show. Let's talk about sex because I saw in one of your posts, you were talking about pelvic floor, Kegels in general, actually helping us with our sex lives. And this is the thing that I think is the biggest devastation to womankind is that we don't orgasm during sex. Not only that, but a lot of women don't know how to orgasm. They're not in tune with their body. I will fully admit it was like three years before I ever experienced one during sex. I mean, that was like such a foreign thing for me. And a lot of it came down again to that shame around my body, that not knowing my body, that feeling like it was almost like taboo or wrong to like touch yourself or have anything like that and now as time's going on i'm realizing that the more i the more i understand my body the better sex is mm-hmm. however i've never known that like pelvic floor and kegels could
1: actually enhance sex totally
0: how can, does that
1: happen so well next time you have sex try some kegels and, During it, yeah, totally. Okay,
0: because he won't you be can like, use. What are you doing?
1: He'll be like, "What are you doing?" And okay. keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you can hypo, use your <laughs> turbo, whatever we call it. <laughs> it's my super vagina. It's my super vagina. My superhero. Yeah. So, <laughs> using a partner, whether it's it doesn't yep. matter if they're male or female, or if it's a penis or a toy or or fingers, but yep. that can be good biofeedback. So for people who are learning, again, here's my hands, but if if you are learning how to do your kegels and you have something to squeeze against and try to draw into you, then that can be helpful for you from a training perspective. But they Mm -hmm. can also give you the feedback of, yeah, I can totally feel that. And interesting. so that's one piece of it. So it can be something that can enhance your sensation Mm -hmm. as well as your partner's. Mm -hmm. But also pelvic floor muscles that have a good amount like an an optimal amount of tone who yeah. who they're not super stuck or tight and they're not completely lax they have more their ability to sense better i guess is what i'm saying and okay. so it goes in line with the, the body, like if when you're in bed or wherever you're having sex and you're worried about, you know, do I look fat? Do I, do I smell? Yeah. Do I, you know, all the things that go through your mind, you're not relaxed. You're not in the moment and that True. can impede lubrication and it may contribute to muscles being a little bit less likely to relax. Yeah. And that again, the mind, but also the body can interfere then with your sensation. And if you can- be in the moment and allow the muscles to respond mm-hmm. how they would like just let them do their job rather than us kind of getting in the way
0: I do find that the way that we think about ourselves and our body and that self-consciousness and that that loss of confidence it does strip us of our true intimacy with somebody mm-hmm. and totally. understanding like that enjoyment and that need to like relax like i've i've read all the stuff in terms of like why foreplay is so important, and like what actually happens to the female body that actually will allow yourself more chances to have come to orgasm and mm-hmm. stuff. But not only that, I do have a question because when you orgasm, your vagina does clench, like it almost does a it's natural like a super kegel. kegel. That's the so, superhero
1: kegel right there.
0: Okay, so that's why, it like, so doing that during sex and then allowing yourself. So if you have a stronger or more exercised vagina then is it making your orgasm stronger? Yes.
1: What? There's your motivation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. This is wild. And does it increase your chances of orgasm? Or uh, I would say yes. So- I would say yes, but there's lots okay. of other things that can can play a part in that, but but I would say yes because if you have a sort of optimally functioning pelvic floor, yes. And uh, you know the less tone your sensation might not be as heightened and too much tone, you might be uncomfortable or painful. So if your if your tone is kind of in that optimal range and yep. you're just in the moment and you're, yep. then I would say yes. Okay. Um, and so getting you to the optimal range can sometimes mean exercising your pelvic floor and getting it working.
0: That makes sense. And you know what? I just signed up. I have your challenge right now. I have your twenty eight day Kegel challenge. Can you explain what that is?
1: Yeah. So my philosophy is always movement based. Okay. And I don't believe in kegels at every red light or, you know, just yeah, while gonna, you're brushing like, your teeth, yeah. <laughs> you know, the things that we've always heard. I know, supposed right? Because it's better than nothing and mm-hmm. bringing awareness to your pelvic floor throughout the day, if that's the only time you get to do yeah. it, better than nothing. Yep. Yeah. However, that sitting usually in a, in a posteriorly tilted position, which is not always, usually in a posterior tilt, our pelvic floor is actually a little bit shortened mm-hmm. and we sit a lot in the day. So it's usually kind of in that stuck position. And again, if we had a short, tight muscle, like, holding grocery bags on our arm. Yep. And then if I did more bicep curls, that's like doing more kegels with a short tight and it just kind of works the muscle opposite to what it actually needs. It needs gotcha. more lengthening. So if you're sitting at every red light doing it, not only is your position non-optimal, but it's not it's not allowing, it's not training your pelvic floor to respond to lifting a suitcase or right. lifting a car seat with your baby or bags of groceries or all the things that we do dynamically life through stuff, the day. Yeah, yeah. so my 3c approach is kegels need to be done correctly they need to be done consistently and they need to be done coordinated with movement and i created an online program that was kind of like a diy with education and exercise and yeah. and people liked it but they they still wanted the daily reminders yeah. and they still wanted something to kind of get them in that routine i still i I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: i didn't even know there was like proper position
1: Yeah. I am learning. You're going to learn so so much much. in this challenge. No kidding. So the challenge really came about is to app based. So again, most people are 99% of people are on their phones all day. So it gives you the daily reminder to do it. It gives you the instruction how to do it. So each day you have five things. Two of them are the down training, as I call it. So the relaxation and the learning to let go. And then Mm -hmm. three of the exercises are the up training. So learning to contract and lift because we need the balance of both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not, Sitting at a red light, you're doing things like squats and lunges and bridges oh. and all sorts of movements that you do through the day, but you're just doing them with a pelvic floor intention awareness or intention. Of, exactly. Oh, that's
0: really cool. So you yeah. can kind of
1: integrate it like that.
0: Yeah. Cause I think that's, I, I can be honest, I don't think that I've ever done a Kegel like during an exercise. I think I've done it like most people do, where it's like when you think about it or, you know, as many as you can when you're brushing your teeth or yeah. those types of things. So it's interesting to know that it, it can be done like a different way. And I'm so fascinated that I could actually, you know, I, don't, I didn't know that so many things could truly be healed totally. by this kind of stuff. Yeah. How long a day does somebody typically when you're doing one of these challenges, how many minutes a day would it normally take to run through like the- Like five to
1: 10 minutes. Oh, it's pretty yeah. quick. It's pretty quick. It depends. Like there's a couple of the release exercises that you might stay there for yeah. a few minutes almost, but most of them, yeah, five to 10 minutes. And people like the reminders and they like the, there's points associated with it. And yeah. after you've checked something off, you get a satisfying ding and a green, like yeah. you're complete and people yeah. love that sort of self-motivation re, um, and, and reassurance. And so it it incorporates some gamification in there and motivation. There's a group chat so people can ask questions and I'm coaching them along the way. If they're like, I can't do this with this, I don't have a ball, what's my modification? Or this hurts my knees, what other way could I do this? So I'm kind of coaching along the way as well. And when you reach certain point levels, you unlock bonus content that's like oh, other really education. Fun. And so it's fun. It's engaging. And and your Instagram is really fun and educational too.
0: I heard that you have had some troubles getting on Facebook with some of these, with some of your posts, which is so funny because I'm like, there's nothing offensive or even like scandalous about your stuff. Where are you standing with now in terms of like that social media part of it and it being like now accepted to
1: have like, you friggin have like a puppet of a vagina. Like I don't even get it. <laughs> it's downstairs right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a picture with it. No. So what happened with Facebook, it wasn't that they were not allowing my posts. It's mm. that originally, so my my legal business name is what my page was. So it's Pelvian Wellness. And, okay. and when I was, so three years ago, again, I was kind of transitioning the brand. Yeah. And Vagina Coach, when I tried to change the name, they said it was inappropriate. It was a not a term that was used. So I mm-hmm. tried many times over the last few years. And yeah. then recently there, the regulations have changed slightly. Like there are other vagina pages on there and what I I needed to do it almost in a kind of a step-by-step process that eventually eliminated the Pelvian part and just, so anyway, long story short, it is now Vagina Coach. Now Vagina Coach. Yeah. And um, on Instagram and Facebook, I've made it.
0: (laughs) Now, how has it been? You are a mother of teenage boys and I believe in this so hard because I have two girls and then I have a boy and you know, it's been so interesting watching him grow up in this kind of female-dominated environment mm-hmm. where even, you know, when I was a single mom, it was just us three girls and one boy. So I really like to talk about things because I, I didn't want my kids to feel shame around stuff. My mom tried to do this with me too, like no fault of her own. I just was like a very embarrassed kid. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew up, I got less so and I really wanted to empower my kids to have normal conversations. I think I'm like half winning. One of them's a little bit more cautious than the other, <laughs> but my son is so curious and so interested. And, you know, like when I was talking to the girls about their periods, he was like, can I also try this stuff? Like he wanted cool. to see like the leak proof underwear and stuff, just like the girls. And I thought this is, this is exactly how it should be. And, you know, I'm so grateful. I have a husband now who is not weirded out by vagina conversations, totally not weirded out by like us having conversations about my period or even discharge and like normal stuff. Yep. But a lot of guys are. And I realize that a lot of it comes from all the way down from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And this like rooted in like, it's shame, it's taboo. Like, let's not talk about it. And I think oftentimes we think, oh, that really sets women up for failure, but it actually sets men up for failure too, because they're, they're losing out on those same levels of intimacy with women. So how have your boys kind of like adapted to kind of being comfortable in this, like what has been societally uncomfortable for so long?
1: Yeah. Well, they didn't really have a choice. <laughs> well, I, guess, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. But I a thousand percent agree with what you're saying and that, and if, if we in this generation. Mm-hmm. as as ourselves can start to become comfortable with these conversations and start to understand and and normalize talking about it, not taboo. Yeah. then that translates to our children as well. And then they will grow up with a different experience. And yeah. so we, I mean, I I have vulva puppets. I have pelvis. I have vulva necklaces. I've got all sorts of paraphernalia oh around I have the a house. Vulva
0: mug. And my kids are like, nice. is, that a, is that illegal to have out in public? And I was like, oh, I will walk around <laughs> in the neighborhood if, with this if you want me to. Totally. Like, yeah. I, I love it. I'm like, here's a clitoris and like here's, yes. here's a labia. And like. And I just, secretly, and they
1: are so like, happy to have that knowledge. Well, they know what it is. Exactly. Like
0: now they actually have it. I didn't, I didn't even know that there was a third hole mm-hmm. until I was after I had children, Mm -hmm. it was actually because they put a catheter in. And I was like, how can you put a catheter in? I was, I guess it was during birth that I found out, how can you be putting a catheter in when I'm about to push out a baby? I was so confused. That's when I found out I had a third hole. Like that's how unaware I was and blissfully unaware, I guess in a way. But as I've learned down the road is that, you know what, knowledge is power and you actually get to do, get to be an advocate for yourself. But I'm curious for a lot of people who are in situations where they're already in a relationship with Somebody who's very uncomfortable about these things. How can we empower women, especially in terms of like self love and touch and just understanding their own stuff, even with a partner who's maybe not comfortable about those things? Mm -hmm. Do you find that we're still kind of like working through women's? Like, Mm because I feel like I'm like past that phase, but I can imagine that women are still struggling. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And, and yes, absolutely are. And, and the, I remember when I started this 15 years ago and, and we, Instagram wasn't around. Yeah. Facebook was still very much a personal thing. There was really yeah. nothing business. The only kind of business platform that was being used was Twitter. Yeah. And so that's kind of where people were starting to reach out. And I remember, yeah. you know, putting in the terms pelvic floor and even learning like what the hell's a hashtag and going yeah. hashtag pelvic floor and, <laughs> and seeing who was talking about it. And that was kind of the first conversation starter. Yeah, But in the last, especially like say five years or so, three to five years, the conversations around pelvic floor has exploded. The number of people talking about it is, which is amazing. It's amazing. And now more people are informed and now more people, instead of people saying, I've never heard of pelvic floor physio, they're saying, oh yeah, I've heard about it. I follow this person or this, or that's how I found you because somebody told me. And so it's getting out there more and it is becoming more talked about. There are still people that they're, for whatever reason, there's many different influences in their lives that maybe they're reluctant mm-hmm. um, to talk or reluctant to seek help. And that's fine. The beauty of social media is it's there. Yeah.
0: Kind of like what you're
1: doing with with your page is that yeah. people connect to what you've gone through, what you yeah. are going through, what whatever, and they can learn. So you were, you're in a very different place now than you were, but there are some people who are in the place where you were and 100%. you are supporting them through that. And it's the same thing happening in these conversations as well. So it is heads and tails above where it was. And yes, there's still Room to improve. There's lots to to, a lot of room to improve and more places to go, kind of thing. But I'm thankful for the awareness that's being created and the the communities that are happening now, where women can go and feel uh, like I have a a private Facebook group called Box Talk. So (laughs) when it's private and people can come in and they can ask Ask questions questions. and there's knowing that everybody in there has been pre-approved with, and they're dealing yep. with common things. And then yep. they can, you know, not just hear from me, but hear from other people that are struggling. So they know they're not alone. Yeah, and... Cause
0: not everybody has those situations where they can bounce off ideas, even with their girlfriends or like not totally. everybody has those same experiences. Not all vaginas are the same. All vaginas yeah. are good vaginas. But like, I was literally the girl that even went and like, there was a page at one point, I don't know how many years ago where it just showed all different women's labias and mm-hmm. not in a pornographic way, but in a way that showed you that labias were normal because and I different. think for so much, many of us, and I, and I follow so many pages like that now, and that's why I love what you're doing so much in, in terms of the social media side of it, because I just remember that feeling of aloneness and feeling mm-hmm. like my vagina looks weird or mm-hmm. my vagina is gross. And like these weird little tidbits of information or these images that kind of show you that they're all so diverse and so different and so beautiful in different ways. And there's not really like one right vagina out there. No. And and it's actually just really changed my whole perspective in terms of like how I feel about my body and just like even my confidence around it all, right? So mm-hmm. like I can't even remember the last time I was like, oh, I'm like, I even have like a, a, there was a stitch after Bodum was born that like didn't actually heal the spot. So I'm like, I always call it my labia. Mm-hmm. But like that used to devastate me. I was so like ashamed of it. And now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's my labia. It's like totally. what happened during birth, right? Totally. So yeah. I mean, you kind of get to normalize these things. So I think it's, I think it's really cool that you have that I think it's really amazing that you have a community where people can kind of tap into it because I think we all know not everybody has those support systems, which totally. is the freaking power of social media, man. Yep. It's
1: incredible. And it's the confidence really piece is a big one that you just mentioned that mm-hmm. it's the, the media tells us that light bladder leakage is just part of being a woman. And well, they sell
0: products to help it. like, right. and, and that's
1: great. Those things should exist. I think we, don't, yes. we shouldn't just have to pee ourselves until we're better. Exactly. However, there's help and that should be a temporary measure. Yes. And it shouldn't be something that it, the impression is that it's just something that you have to just be like, oh, well, I'm a woman and it happens and I just need to accept it and I need to wear pads for the rest of my life. Yeah. And so they play a role, a thousand percent agree, but I would would love it if the messaging could be more around your confidence doesn't have to come by masking a symptom, Mm. that confidence really comes from actually addressing the problem and that it is very, very treatable and it's very, very common. You're not the only one dealing with it, but use this while you're seeking help and then you won't have to Wear pads for the rest of your life because that's where the true confidence—I call it core confidence—comes from. Is when yeah. you can go to your exercise class and do a jumping jack and know that you're okay and you, you don't have to have your pad in. Or um, right. you know, it, it it consumes so much of your thought when you're constantly putting a pad in or you, you laugh through the day and you've you know, you know, that you've just leaked and
0: yeah. you know, And I, and I think that that's so important too, because I've, I've literally gone up to fitness instructors and said, Hey, just so you know, if there's any jumping in the class, I can't do that part. Just know that I'm okay. It's just that I have like bladder leakage issues. And I've never had a fitness instructor say to me, no problem. Maybe go get your pelvic floor checked. It literally was one of my followers that was the one who said it after yeah. I jokingly said something about it. So yeah. I mean, I I agree with you. I think confidence does come with information. I think it acknowledges power and yeah. we need to use it more and more. And that's exactly why I'm like truly so excited that we're having this conversation. But I want people, I realize that we're like, this is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're literally, it's been like 49 minutes. <laughs> and I want people to get to know what you're doing. I want them to empower themselves. I want them to feel confident about their vaginas and, you know, do a proper Kegel Mm -hmm. and all of those things. Where can they find you? How can they start tapping into your community? Because I absolutely love what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Likewise. The vaginacoach.com or not the but vaginacoach.com is okay. is uh, kind of my main website. Okay. Um, if you are pregnant, you can check out com as well. Oh nice. Um there's on vaginacoach I have resources for pregnant or non-pregnant people. Yeah. Um Bellysinc is definitely very much focused on yeah, the, the pregnant population, but um yeah, vaginacoach is kind of the the online presence that I have social media as well as the website and you can find the 28-day challenge there. Um, also the other programs that I have, if you're interested, or the coaching. So I do one-on-one coaching with women as well. That's and so lovely. Um, yeah, so I'm really, really grateful for you for having me and helping yeah. me get the message out because I think that, well, of course I want more women to to hear about it. I'm really, really excited that you're joining the challenge and yeah, looking forward power, to your, to this your is, thoughts.
0: This is like a total culmination of things because people always tell me that papayas look like vaginas and I completely agree. (laughs) So this is the perfect little partnership moment. We're having our papaya vagina power moment (laughs) and we're all going to go get our, I don't know, what are we going to call our super powered vaginas, but we'll come up with a name and it's going to be powerful and it's going to be amazing. So thank you so much. I'm really excited for people to get to know you. And yeah, Hope you guys check out Vagina Coach on Insta, on her website, go find all the things, go get your vagina power and we will talk to you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories and don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.